This week, our executive producer, Adam Gobeski, suggested we watch the 1996 film Larger Than Life, uh, the movie where Bill Murray inherits an elephant. But instead, we decided to watch the infinitely more fun 1938 film Bringing Up Baby. of Cinematic Respect. I'm your first co-host, Jessica Clares. And I'm your second co-host, Charlie Wallace. And, Jessica, I have to tell you, um, I was on Twitter the other day, and I found <laughs> out that there's another podcast that has a very premise. Really? Yes. How I know that we they? have the most original idea for a <laughs> podcast ever. But I was worried about it a little bit. Until? Because uh, the idea behind this show is that the guest comes on and they haven't seen the movie before. <laughs> <laughs> which just goes nodding her head which sounds familiar yes it does um but i delved into it a little bit deeper and i can assure you that it's a very different show <laughs> <laughs> in fact we have one of the hosts of that show on today uh please welcome lee from the fake movies podcast welcome to the show hey thank you how are you guys doing today we are doing we're great awesome yeah, yeah. now that we can kind of yeah. <laughs> no real. I know. When yet. we found out there was another podcast that watches movies, we were really <laughs> shattered. Um, yeah, that, that's really surprising. <laughs> so as long as we're not in like direct, direct competition, we figured we could have you on the show. Uh, <laughs> actually, what? Uh, maybe you could explain a little bit more about what your uh, what your show is about. Sure. Um, so I think the main difference between our two shows is, uh, whereas you guys were kind enough to let me watch the movie that we're going to be discussing tonight uh we're a little more adversarial and our guest uh never gets to watch the movie beforehand (laughs) we tell them the name we give them a few actors and they have to make up the plot on the fly um and then we tell them which version was better so definitely a little different uh I was really excited to actually get to watch a movie that I was going to talk about for once. So this is this is a whole new experience for me. Nice. So I wanted to ask everyone, what do you think is the most memorable animal acting performance you've seen? Memorable. Off the top of my head, just just shooting from the hip here. I'm going to say um, the dog in Snatch. Oh, Yeah. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I don't know why it just came to mind, like where it was like something that was present kind of throughout the movie and it was entertaining. But I will say it's not like that dog had to be particularly well trained for any anything or <laughs> anything like that. So, I mean, there's definitely more impressive animal actors. Oh, oh. So I was thinking about it and I remember the 1988 film Monkey Shines, <laughs> <laughs> which is just a bizarre George Romero film about a paraplegic man who gets a monkey helper who is injected with drugs that cause the monkey to get super smart and then try to kill him. You're making this up. It's, it's not. Wait, uh, is that what that movie's called? I have so many just strange <laughs> memories of watching HBO as a child and seeing it's <laughs> that movie. It's so weird because it just takes itself, it, it feels like it takes itself very seriously, but it's the most ridiculous idea for a movie you've ever wow. heard. But yeah. yeah, that monkey's a lot of fun. <laughs> Running around with like syringes and. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, Lee, help us out. What do you, what's yours? <laughs> okay, so I, mine is semi related to that. Um, so I don't know about favorite performance, but uh, I think one of the more impactful ones I've ever seen is uh, a few months ago on my show we did the Clint Eastwood movie 
every which way but loose <laughs> with the orangutan Clyde. Um, and I do not like that movie. But, uh, uh, Clint Eastwood uh, gave an interview sometime after the movie came out, and he said that he really loved working with Clyde because he had such a short attention span that he could only do one take of any scene. And from what I've read about Clint Eastwood as a director, he encourages doing everything in one take. So I so think Clint work. Eastwood learned how to direct from an orangutan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like your choice. That's definitely a better, a better animal actor than the one I chose. I remember that movie. It's really. Funny. I don't know about better, but <laughs> well, yeah, maybe not the movie, but um, right, maybe maybe a little more influential. It did kind of win two Oscars for directing. We did it. I'll see. I'm learning. Well, if something. it inspired Clint Eastwood. Oh, I see. <laughs> Indirectly. <laughs> so Jessica. You tell me this is one of your favorite movies. It is one of my favorite movies. So Lee here uh, picked the 1938 classic Bringing Up Baby starring Cary Grant and Katherine Hepburn. Quick uh, quick summary is that Cary Grant plays uh, David Huxley, who is a paleontologist, and he's just very straight-laced, kind of serious guy. And uh, he's been working for many years to assemble a, a brontosaurus, a full brontosaurus, and he only needs one more bone. And uh, he <laughs> – one more bone for it. Um, and uh, so there's a lot going on in his life. He's about to get that, and he's also working on trying to get a, a, a large donation, a million-dollar donation for his museum to keep his work going and he's about to get married to quite possibly one of the sternest most boring women ever um i thought she was cool (laughs) i'm not judgmental of course you did (laughs) anyways so a day before his wedding um he's playing golf with the lawyer of the person he's trying to get the money from and um happens to run into Catherine hepburn who plays uh susan vance and she is free-spirited and scattered, I think is the the kindest way to put it. And so they get introduced uh, in just, you know, kind of a crazy little meet-cute kind of way. And um, she decides she's fallen in love with him and wants to keep him around as long as possible. And so crazy, crazy hijinks ensue, um, culminating, I guess, uh, I don't know, there's there's a dog that steals a bone. There's a leopard. Oh, wait, there's another leopard. One of them's tame. One of them's not tame. And it's complete, complete craziness and lots of fun. I think of all the movies I've ever watched, the phrase hijinks ensue fits this movie better than anything. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, it's it, it, of the screwball comedies. I think it has one of the most like far-fetched storylines where um for your show lee like if you had somebody try to come up with this plot they're never going to land here like this is just not (laughs) one you're going to be like and then (laughs) oh yeah i i i agree there were moments when i actually had to pause the movie to stop and think so what did just happen there (laughs) (laughs) so lee um of all the movies you could have chosen that you hadn't seen before. Why bringing up baby? Uh, you know, honestly, I was really in the mood to watch the Philadelphia story when we started emailing each other. <laughs> um, and I saw this on the list and thought to myself, I know far too much about it to ever do it on my own show. This would be a great reason to check out this movie. So yeah, another uh, Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn film. So this is actually... <laughs> yep, you're just minus one Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the film suffers for it necessarily. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I mean, I love Jimmy Stewart, but the film is great on its own and certainly fits Catherine Hepburn. Um, I mean, 
it's not a stretch, right, to to play an East Coast socialite. So you knew some stuff about the movie. What did you know about the movie ahead of time, Lee? Uh, well, so I knew Catherine Hepburn and, and Cary Grant, uh, and I knew there was a leopard involved, and there were hijinks. So that is about all I knew about the movie. It's pretty, it's pretty good, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It rounds out from there, for sure. <laughs> uh, so you didn't have any preconceived ideas about what the storyline was going to be, just that it that it had a leopard? Yeah, I, I honestly, I I had no idea how you would fit a leopard into a zany comedy. Although now that I'm saying that sentence out loud, of course you can fit a leopard <laughs> into a zany comedy. But yeah, I, I was not, I did not know what to expect at all. I had actually seen this one before, but it was years and years and years ago. And I thought I remembered stuff about this movie and I did not. Because like you were saying, Jessica, the plot can really go anywhere. Oh yeah, it's very open. So all I remembered was I thought that the leopard had come into the museum at some point. I remembered a leopard near that gigantic dinosaur and nope, never happened. You imagined. Good. <laughs> so it might as well have been new to me. <laughs> yeah, I've seen this movie several times. There's, I mean, it's so detailed and gets so crazy that there's always elements that I do forget or, you know, as it's happening, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's how we get from this scene to this scene oh yeah you know little details like that but um yeah i've seen this movie several times i i love it yeah i think a lot of current movies talk about you know joke density Mm -hmm. being something they're they're striving for they have nothing on this movie i don't think there's a there's five seconds that go by without some sort of joke yeah, I, I mean, I mean, obviously the screwball comedy. You want, I mean, it, anything goes in terms of a storyline. Um, I feel like this obviously exemplifies that. And then the layering of the dialogue and the jokes—it's so quick that you're going to miss some. I mean, you're just by virtue of it, and it creates a ton of opportunity for misunderstanding or for puns or for—I yeah. mean, just like all of these little these little things. No, that's a good point. I. We as an audience have trouble keeping up, so I guess it's kind of very understandable that everybody in the movie, mm-hmm. too, can't quite figure out what's going on. Yeah, I missed a lot of, like, this is one I do want to rewatch again at some point. I mean, I apparently didn't get anything from it the first time around. <laughs> but yeah, I felt like things were going so quickly that I was I was missing a lot. Well, I very much appreciate that. I mean, while Cary Grant and Katherine Hepburn are co-stars in this in this movie... As as the audience, you're a little bit experiencing it from Cary Grant's character's perspective, you know, from David Huxley, and you're and you're seeing the frustration, you're seeing, and how many times throughout this movie where they show him where he opens his mouth to say something and then no, and then he ah, ah, it puts his finger up and opens it and then just shakes his head and goes right, and and that kind of just playing with it and having the right timing with all of the craziness that's going on and Catherine Hepburn just staying like effervescent, um, and upbeat and just. Yeah, very carefree. Nothing really bothers her. Or when it does, it bothers her to this like crazy dramatic extent. And it's <laughs> it's just fun and silly. I think one of my one of my favorite things about the Cary Grant performance is just watching him go from frustrated kind of aw shucksing through the movie to the point where to me it looked like he completely broke and then finally came around to the craziness. Um when they're having dinner together and he continually is getting up every time he sees the dog to go follow it. <laughs> that was, I, I mean, I was thoroughly enjoying the movie up to that point, but that was the moment when it really just, okay, this is, this is amazing. This is a perfect movie. It's um, so funny. Yeah. I think I, 
I really think you nailed it with the Katherine Hepburn character. She is just floats through this movie until she doesn't float through it. And then it's explosive every time. It's so good. So, you know, that dinner that you're talking about, we end up meeting Susan's aunt who has money. She is the one who has money to donate. And so he wants to impress her, but he doesn't have clothes. And so now he doesn't want her to know who he is. And it's just there's a fake you know, fake identities and all of these things that are, of course, miscommunicated. And um, But they have a dinner guest who's playing along as best as he can. And uh, yeah, his performance, I actually really thoroughly enjoy. And I I know him from other, other comedies. Um, and he's just cheerful and happy to participate and play along. And he keeps doing the most ridiculous animal call over <laughs> oh, and over I again about that yeah with this like detailed hand i don't even know what to say it's not a gesture what do you even call it but like holding his fingers just so and leaning back and making the sound which of course the actor's not making is clearly being added after the fact and <laughs> it's just fantastic and he's also confusing the real leopard's call with a loon call for no reason and uh yeah no he's he's delightful and i feel like he adds to the crazy without tipping it over the edge it's 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 good glue i think i i really i think you're right because there's so many lines throughout that sequence of someone having a one-on-one conversation with katherine hepburn saying why didn't you tell me this backstory that i now have to pretend and just <laughs> three different sides of a conversation happening all at once it was is very good like you said, the, the the feeling throughout the film is when you very first start watching, I think you you have apprehension at first because you feel what Cary Grant's character's feeling. This like, no, I, I'm supposed to be getting married and I'm now late and I have this bone and now this dog has stolen this bone and, and you're kind of along for that ride and tell a point. And maybe it's that dinner scene that you're talking about, but at some point you're like, oh, okay, now we're just letting, leading back and just letting it explode like i'm no longer worried about these things it'll all work itself out it'll be fine let's just watch the ridiculousness unfold yeah (laughs) i thought it was fun because this applegate character he doesn't show up until i think a good halfway through the movie probably halfway like does he come through the window i think he (laughs) he comes in through the window um, dutch doors yeah it's like at the point where you might actually get a little bit exhausted or stop caring it's like here's this other wacky guy (laughs) like you didn't you almost felt like you didn't need it. There was so much crazy stuff going on, and then it is kind of like a breath of fresh air. No, but it was a way to bring to it. it was a way to bring her aunt into it too. Yes, true. Yes. Well, that's another thing about this movie is they continually add more characters as you go. The movie, you know, it sets you up with okay, here's Cary Grant, here's his fiance, here's Catherine Hepburn, here's the lawyer character, and then five minutes later, well, here's the psychiatrist, and then. 20 minutes later, here's your aunt. And then a couple minutes later, here's the major. And then a few minutes later, here's the constable. And it just continues to add more and more and more to the just overloading everything until it just comes to a tipping point. Yes. Which is just, yeah, it's it's so fantastic. And I want to point out for listeners who haven't seen it, all of this craziness is going on with the repeated singing of I can't give you anything but love, baby. (laughs) And so when this movie was over, that was just that one part was stuck in my head so much. (laughs) Like, it took me a while to get it out, to get out of my head again. Because apparently it lulls the tamed leopard into complacency. I don't know what the right phrase is, but. Yeah, Lee, we talked a little bit ahead of the podcast and you were talking about different production stories. And I know that one of them was that there's a lot of delays for this film, but one of them was getting the rights to that 
that song. Oh, really? Yeah, it's like probably not the nearly the lar- longest delay, but they definitely had to shell out the money for, for to get to that it. specific song. Well, they certainly played it enough to make it worth it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't think there's, <laughs> there's much else going on music-wise in the film. Before coming on, I listened to a few episodes of your show uh, to do a little homework. Um, <laughs> and I think it was uh, the His Girl Friday episode. Uh, you guys had mentioned how much happens in what is supposed to be an incredibly short period of time. And I really <laughs> right. got that feeling from this movie as well. I mean, he was supposed to get married, right? Mm-hmm. You don't even notice when the time has passed that he was supposed to get married. You thought that, like, at least I assumed that there'd be some call out to it, like, Oh, my wedding's going on right now. I better get there. And then he gets pulled away. But he forgets about it. Oh, yeah. He gets too so much going up. on. And I really do like how they build. They build momentum in terms of how his life is being destroyed or slowly dismantled <laughs> by meeting Catherine Hepburn. Because at very first, you know, she plays his golf ball on the course. And so it pulls him away from the lawyer he's trying to suck up to, to like get to the woman who has money, you know, whatever for his museum. And so there's that. And then she like damages his car pretty severely. Like she's, you know, like damaging his car and drives away with him. And then later that night, he shows up at a fancy restaurant and he has his tails and he has his top hat and she ends up tripping him so he falls on his top hat and crushes it and she ends up tearing his tails and she ends up and so they just start with little things that are like they're bothersome but it's not ruining everything but then it just escalates to stealing his clothes to making up fake stories for him and not telling him what they are but telling (laughs) everybody else to getting his the bone for his dinosaur stolen to, you know, two, 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 two. And so it just escalates very rapidly. But I like that right from the start, like, it's just these little things that are awful enough to (laughs) make you not want to be around this person. Laying it out that way, you're making me realize how much happens before the leopard gets involved. Oh, right. Considering that the movie's called Bring the Baby. Yeah, there's, there's so much going on before we even find out what that means. Anyway, she has this leopard, and they end up bringing it. And I just love some of the, I mean, low, low low-tier, crazy, ridiculous things of, like, they stop in some town, and Baby the leopard climbs out of the car that Catherine Hepburn, you know, it's her car or whatever, climbs out of that car and climbs into a different car. And so, naturally, she just gets into that car and drives away. Like, which, I mean, there's no worry about keys or anything like that, which, you know, but it just, yeah, just the silliness of, like, well... I guess we're taking this car because I can't get the leopard back in my car. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I just liked it. I just love the ridiculousness of it. And oh, yeah. that you see that she's ridiculous with other people other than him as well. Like, this is just kind of who she is all the time. And then when she really focuses her efforts, because you know, she decides that she loves him, and clearly he has to stay around until she wears him down, like breaks him until he falls in love with her, that she just kind of directs her crazy at him yeah. <laughs> and unleashes it or whatever. But it's there all the time with everybody she interacts with. I loved in the script, there were a couple of points that really got to me. And one was just the names. Like, she made up, the name for him and she made it the last name bone because that's the first thing that she thought of mm-hmm. it reminds me of it was like a <laughs> simpsons joke or something right <laughs> yes staring around the room until you see something yeah yeah <laughs> you know uh, like an i love bone. lamp sort of thing yes exactly <laughs> the aunt's last name was random was it i didn't even was it random really? yes uh, elizabeth well. random there was a slight there was like a very quick joke about her saying that 
the last name was random or something like that, but that was actually her last name and not that's funny. the descriptor of her last name. It was, yeah. I think I missed that in the fast dialogue. Um, but yeah, there's a leopard. <laughs> there's yeah, so two the, leopards in this movie. There's two leopards and there's a dog. Which was endlessly confusing, the two leopards for yeah. me. <laughs> I, I did. I did. I did I... like that they have like the tame leopard is always tame, and the scary, dangerous leopard is like always teeth are you know bared, and it's you know either hissing or growling or whatever. So you know, for the audience, you're supposed to immediately be able to tell which is which. They didn't play with that too much in terms of like having a moment where the tame leopard, where baby was maybe like being aggressive or something like that. I always talk about um, you know surprising special effects. The that the leopard was done with rear projection for a lot of scenes and it was actually hard to pick out i don't know if i was maybe just not looking closely enough but it i would if i had not known that going into it i would have never noticed there was one time i noticed and the time i noticed was when they were in the jail and carrie grant was in front uh, he was standing very close because i guess he was particularly scared of the leopard on set but other than that there must have been more times than that i think there were and i hadn't noticed it at all up until then yeah they did really well I had read that Catherine Hepburn wasn't afraid of it, and I don't know if it was to make fun of Cary Grant to an extent. Oh, or probably. What, but <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, she she apparently filmed I think all of her scenes actually with the leopard. That sounds about right. Yeah, she would just be <laughs> stubborn enough to be like, "That's right, I'm fine, fine with this tame leopard." <laughs> it was great too when they first introduced the leopard, and it's like rolling around and. You know, mm-hmm. rubbing up against her leg like a cat. I was like, yeah, very much so. Yeah, you're like, I, like oh, this. I want a leopard. <laughs> I yeah, want I, this I watched leopard. This, I watched this with my partner and she teased me. She said that I would be useless talking about this movie because I was uh, going going gushy over the cat. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I liked it. I liked the the ridiculousness of having both a dog you know, stealing a bone, and then you have this leopard, and you have the interaction between the two of them. Um, oh, yeah! The dog and that the leopard, crazy. and I'm like, they did they just let them play? Because I don't know how you'd, like, do this special effects-wise. I think they're actually, like, fighting. Yeah, no, I think they're, like, I think they're playing. I mean, that's yeah. kind of how a lot, yeah, a lot of animals play, but yeah, they're definitely going at it. So I think Catherine Hepburn has it right. I think she recognizes in that scene, like, oh, no, they're just playing and having fun yeah. <laughs> for now. <laughs> Until one well, of them, that dog you know, continued to make movies, I think, so I guess it was okay. <laughs> it didn't have a disclaimer at the end that no no animals were harmed in the making of this film. It kinda, sure, yeah. This movie predates that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just even, sorry, just even mentioning that scene is great because um, Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn's characters are viewing that from across a, what it looks like a little creek. And they go to cross it because it's allegedly oh. shallow and then sink over their heads like immediately, <laughs> which is exactly what I, you should expect from this kind of film. <laughs> I almost did a spit take when that happened. I, I knew <laughs> part of me knew it was going to happen. And I still they got me. They got me very good. <laughs> it's it's a, it's surprising to me that it flopped when it came out at the time right. because it is so funny. I wonder a little bit about that just from some of the background reading I did. Um, so it apparently did very well in coastal cities and very poorly in the Midwest, especially. As much as we think of these movies now, looking back at them, I think at the time 
people might have had issues with Catherine, Catherine Hepburn. It might have been a little bit too much for some people to see her being herself on the screen, really, that sort of character that she usually does, well, which is fantastic. Exactly, and- yes, yeah. But, I mean, it happens today where there are just great movies that come out and you don't really understand, like, why didn't this one do well? True. Like, you know, suddenly it gets to, like, VOD or whatever, and then people will catch on to it. But at the time, it just, like, does horribly. So it's in, in one Wikipedia's, of these things is so hard to figure out. In Wikipedia's description of the, like like you were saying, that, that blacklist and that uh, the movie didn't really gain popularity until after it was, like, regularly shown on TV. Like, it, it, it like had a resurgence in, I think it was the 1950 or something like that, being shown on television, which only cracked me up because I think of certain movies that, like in our day and age that are like played to death like on yeah. cable you're like oh mm-hmm. a few good men is on cable again shocker like or something yeah you know it was I mean? the like, same this was the same movie. story with shawshank yes when we did that episode it was not how that... often is that on television yeah exactly it is i think you can turn on tnt in any time zone and see at least 15 <laughs> minutes of shawshank redemption yeah. <laughs> i agreed <laughs> and enjoy it every time <laughs> <laughs> Unless you're my mother. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, you had you were you had mentioned earlier, uh, Jessica, the how the momentum ramps up through the whole the whole movie, mm-hmm. and now I kind of want to rewatch it and count how often because when I was watching it the first time, I noticed about half of Cary Grant's lines are him just saying Susan exasperatedly, right? And I <laughs> I want to see if the frequency increases. That's actually with the plot point. of the movie. Yeah. That'd be funny. Yeah. I actually really enjoy that it culminates. I mean, like you said, they you start off with only a couple characters and you keep layering and adding and adding and adding. And I love that it culminates in the prison scene where you get have everybody all together at once. And so it's just complete chaos and mayhem. And I love that out of that, out of all of that, it's kind of like broiling like craziness. Catherine Hepburn like comes out with this like um very I don't even know what the right word is um character or you know she has she has moxie see and let me tell you how oh, it is oh yeah well, I, her, there's a word for that yeah. and I can't think of what it is um but she I love... makes up a character in order to <laughs> exactly come up with some sort of plan to get herself out of jail and everyone immediately is like what are you doing <laughs> it's amazing, <laughs> there's no though. end game to this or at least we think there isn't. <laughs> so great though and she leans into that voice you know that very kind of vaudevillian character yeah. voice and and does the whole thing like with swagger and whatever and then you know tricks of course the dim-witted local police into letting her escape <laughs> oh she just walks right she steps out the window yep well she called herself like her nickname was like revolving door right and then <laughs> and then she jumps on the door and like swings around <laughs> on it and it's like, it's lots of little clever things like that in the movie that it's, oh, it's so funny it's hard to pick up on so, okay, so you've got this dynamic between Cary Grant, who doesn't want to get into all these hijinks, and Catherine Hepburn, who does all this stuff just because, because she's enjoying herself, right? Pretty and much. You don't quite get that to the end of the movie. I mean, you get, you're like, well, she's just kind of crazy and, you know, thing, these sort of things just happen to her. And then you really realize, like, no, she's doing all this stuff on purpose because she enjoys it. Oh, yeah. She's definitely having a good time. What did you all think of the final I love you scene? Where it's like, yes, I had the greatest weekend I've ever had in my life, and I do love you now, <laughs> even though he's been protesting the whole time. I mean, that's always gonna happen. Like, that's always gonna happen in a screwball comedy or any sort of romantic comedy. It was like, you know, they're gonna fall in love, right? I loved that scene, um, but mostly for 
Catherine Hepburn's reaction to knocking over the dinosaur skeleton. Oh, look what I did. That was <laughs> such an amazing line delivery, literally being dangled above like a, a scaffolding and all she could help, all she can notice is, oh, hey, I knocked a thing over. How is this different than any other day? Well, I love that when he pulls her up finally and she's safe. And if you think about it from the opening scene to the final scene, like he had this like life's work and he was getting married. <laughs> and in the final scene. He'd been waiting. <laughs> He'd been working for four years to get that last piece. Yeah. And his fiance's left him and the dinosaur is destroyed. <laughs> I mean, all the pieces are there. He can put it back together, but essentially it's priceless, right? I mean, it's not like. You're going to go and get some of these pieces replaced from another brontosaurus. I mean, you're just, you're just out of luck. And I mean, I guess you can say he nets zero on the whole fiance loss because now he has his new girl or whatever. And <laughs> well, and she, she seems to enjoy his company as opposed to his first fiance who just enjoyed it's his true. work. Yes. Yeah, we just talk about her briefly. Oh my God. I gosh. thought that was hilarious. She was like, scary. I didn't expect her. She wants no she was, emotional uh, she, attachment she, with her fiance. She reminded me of uh, of Lilith Sternum from Cheers <laughs> oh, and yeah. Frasier. Yes. But bef- before she learns how to let de- let loose a little in the later seasons. <laughs> yes, in the early days where she's just stern and yes. serious all the time. Oh, have you guys, did you guys read anything about some of the reasons why the production became so delayed other than getting the rights to that song? Uh, I I read something that uh, Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn kept cracking up (laughs) and that it took a really long time to get certain scenes finished. Yeah, that was one of them. One of the other things I read was, um, I don't know if this was a symptom of it taking so long to finish individual scenes, but uh, was Howard Hawks, the director, Mm -hmm. he would celebrate good shooting days by giving everyone the day off and taking them to the racetrack. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I did not see that one. <laughs> yeah. So when I was reading and it said, oh, this movie went spectacularly over budget, almost all of that, or a lot of that was was due to Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn having clauses about extra shooting days in their contracts. And then when you read the next sentence of, and the director would take shut down production for days at a time to take them to the racetrack, <laughs> it's no wonder the movie went over budget. <laughs> oh my gosh, no wonder. Oh, I think it's also worth mentioning that um, this story, the the script, whatever, is based on a short story that appeared in Collier's Magazine just two years prior. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Hawks, uh, the, the director, read the short story in Collier's Magazine and immediately wanted to make a film from it. And so because you think about the turnaround time, that's, that's pretty quick. So I was also reading about that story. Um, I guess the two, there are two screenwriters. One of them is the person who wrote the story and the other one was a veteran screenwriter that they brought on and they fell in love while writing the script put <laughs> oh, together. Really? And I don't know. Yeah. And I don't know if they stayed together. I, I didn't look too deeply into it, but apparently while they were writing this, cause they had to make some tweaks to the story, change some of the, the change some of it to go from, from page to screen, but they apparently fell in love while working together. Oh, that's awesome. It's hysterical. <laughs> yeah. All right, so Lee, now you've seen this film. Um, would you recommend this to anybody? Or if so, who? Absolutely. I, I Honestly, anyone. Um, <laughs> there is, 
it's so fun. Um, it's kind of a breeze to watch. Like I, I did not feel like it's, it's almost two hours long and I definitely did not feel like I was watching a movie that was almost two hours long, which sometimes with a comedy, it can, there are parts where it, it really starts to drag on you, but this movie was super fun. It was just a great, great time. <laughs> Obviously, Jessica. Yeah, I'm a major fan, so <laughs> you can't you can't really ask me. Um, I mean, that's really how um, you had mentioned before one of our previous episodes um, of His Girl Friday, and that was one that there's not many movies on our list on our website that Charlie hasn't seen, so I have very few to pick <laughs> from whenever he's our guest. <laughs> and so that one I knew he hadn't seen. I was like, oh, you have to watch this one for the same reason. You know, it's the fast-paced craziness, and it's a lot of fun. Um, screwball comedies. I would absolutely recommend this to people. The only thing I have negative to say about it is that I'm sad I saw this one after I saw His Girl Friday because I actually liked that one a lot better. You Mostly do. because of like, I'm kind of a sucker for like all the weird dark undertones there were in that movie <laughs> that I didn't <laughs> that, expect. That movie is shockingly dark. It yeah. really is. There's literal gallows humor in that <laughs> that movie. <laughs> but this... um. But I mean, this at the same time, it's not supposed to be the same sort of thing. It's very light and fluffy and, you know, fun from start to finish. So I can't be too critical of that. I actually did really enjoy it, but I won't say it's my favorite screwball comedy. I guess I, I, I also saw that Howard Hawks had said that he, after the movie came out, he was worried that he didn't include any serious characters in it. There were no, like, straight men characters. I don't know that it ruined that for me. I, I don't no. know that I needed somebody to, to relate to. I was very happy just getting wrapped up in the in the insanity that i think that's a huge strength of the script actually i didn't notice that until i'd read that afterward that there weren't really very many straight men in the movie maybe the aunt i guess she's mm-hmm. she's kind of serious but that you can get through the entire thing without having that sort of solid character to ground everything is pretty amazing so, Lee, you've watched something that we thought you should watch now is your opportunity to tell the world something you think they should watch. Oh, cool. Well, so I had uh, been giving this a lot of thought, uh, like, how do you narrow down what what you want to recommend? And uh, I think I'm going to go with actually my favorite movie of all time um, for two reasons. One, because my birthday is coming up and it takes place on my birthday and, you know, I deserve nice things. <laughs> and two... <laughs> Two, because it's another movie that has no straight men, uh, which is something I really didn't realize until after I watched Bringing Up Baby. Uh, and I don't know that anybody would ever put these two movies in the same category, but I want to recommend Wet Hot American Summer. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, what's funny is I actually watched Wet Hot American Summer after I watched the series that really? was on Netflix. I saw oh, them wow. out of order. Actually, which I mean, I knew right away. I'm like, well, clearly I missed awesomeness. Like, I don't know how I didn't see this, <laughs> but I didn't see it. And so I watched it. and I was like, oh, my gosh, it's just like every comedian that you love getting uh-huh. together being like, oh, my gosh, let's just have a super fun time writing a crazy, ridiculous, like summer camp story. It's just it's so good. And I say this all the time. But yes. This is my absolute favorite Paul Rudd moment and anything I've ever seen him in was when he throws his little fit. In the cafeteria. Yes. <laughs> yes. I die just thinking about that scene. <laughs> he he also has the greatest double take in the history of cinema when, uh, at the talent show scene in that movie. But, anyway, it, it is it is not for everybody. No, but it is fantastic, and and I, I highly recommend it to anyone. 
I'm not, I'm not, I'm not recommending it to my parents, but pretty much, you know, like it's, like you said, it's not necessarily <laughs> oh. for everybody, but man, is it funny. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my, my mom hates that movie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. Uh, so this week I'm actually going to recommend a TV show, which I'm sure we've all seen, <laughs> which ran in the nineties and early two thousands, Frasier, because I took me a while to realize, and I'm sure everyone at the time realized, and I didn't just because, you know, I was in my teens, that it's basically a screwball comedy in every single episode. That's the whole structure of it. If you look and you think about any episode, it's all about crazy misunderstandings piling on top of each other until it comes to some sort of weird crescendo, like embarrassing crescendo, and all these upper class people usually. And um, it does have that sort of denouement at the end where everything kind of slows down and they talk about the lessons they've learned. And that's not usually typical of a screwball comedy, <laughs> but it just watching this made me want to go back and start watching Frasier again. No, which they're going to have it. a remake, maybe. Really? Maybe. Yeah. And it's, it's, I heard Kelsey Grammer wants to be a podcaster in the remake. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. I mean, sure. I mean, clearly he wants to be like us. <laughs> oh yeah because we are the coolest 100%. <laughs> so i am going to make a recommendation um we already mentioned earlier just in discussing we mentioned philadelphia story which of the screwball comedies like that one definitely is my favorite um i have love for for all of them but the philadelphia story is my favorite i still giggle pretty much every time i just think about ck dexter haven like jimmy stewart drunkenly yelling <laughs> ck dexter haven over and over again just cracks me up every <laughs> single time but anyways i'm sticking a pin in that i just want to make mention of it again but officially my recommendation i was thinking of other Cary grant movies and one of my all-time favorites is a movie called charade that stars him and audrey hepburn um and it also has a very very young walter matthau uh who is who's spoiler alert he's he's the bad guy but um it's just it's just a really <laughs> fun movie um and silly in its own right, like silly and yet serious. You know, there's like, you know, people are dying and there's like, you know, hitmen and whatever. People are getting killed because they're trying to find the money and whatever. But Cary Grant's character is definitely silly. I think um, it's worth seeing. Favorite scene is when he takes a shower in his suit. <laughs> you should watch it. <laughs> uh, so, Lee, uh, thank you very much for being on the show. That podcast is Faking Movies. Um, it's a lot of fun. I listened to several episodes. I liked the one about Big Night, I think was the first one <laughs> I listened to, which is a movie that I'm, I wasn't aware that a lot of other people had seen. <laughs> yeah, it's it's one, it's one. also a movie that I thought I knew more about than I did. But when I rewatched <laughs> it, it was a lot different than I expected. <laughs> <laughs> so where can people uh, find you at on the internet? Oh, well, uh, so you can always check out our website, fakingmovies.com. We're on Twitter, at fakingmovies. We run an Instagram account, too, which I'm pretty sure is also at fakingmovies. Yeah, come check us out. And I would love it if either, both, all of you guys would uh, come on and and do an episode of our show, too. Absolutely, we'd love to, yeah. And you can check us out, too, uh, at cinematicrespect.com, also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. There was mention made of it being influenced um, 
by Shakespeare's Much Ado About Nothing. And there's definitely screwball comedic elements in that oh, as yeah. well that I could see, just in yeah, terms absolutely. of the pacing of the jokes and the constant yeah. misunderstandings. The constable, too, reminded actually he reminded me of Doggerel from yes. Much Ado. Yes. Oh, gosh, so good. <laughs> it's one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. I I have deep love for Emma Thompson and disdain for what Kenneth Branagh did to her. But <laughs> still, no, no, no one, de- no one deserves Emma Thompson. Certainly not Kenneth Branagh. But uh, after what he did, but, <laughs> but no, yeah, that's it's an amazing play, and that's it's that's actually a really good film version too. It is. It's a very good film version. Despite the fact that Keanu Reeves is in it. <laughs> I, I knew someone had to say it, but yeah. Well, that's one of those things where you're like, really? Is that, is that Keanu? That's Keanu Reeves. Like, it's super weird. You're like, how did you get here? <laughs> you realize this is a Shakespearean play, right? Like, that's what I feel like. Somebody need to pull him aside and be like, this is not Bill and Ted's. What are you doing? 